Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast for the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, we encourage you to check out our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org. You can also subscribe on iTunes or wherever you like to get podcasts. And now, here's this week's message brought to you by Senior Pastor Adam Russell. Hey, good morning, everybody. Hey, welcome to the Vineyard. My name is Adam. I'm the pastor here. So glad you're with us. Happy Sunday. Look, guys, one of the best Sundays of the year is Fallback Sunday. It's like, it's like an underhanded pitch at church. Like, we're going to, we're, can't you feel it in the room? Yeah. Yeah. Everybody's just happier. You just feel the buzz. That's good. Hey, if you want to, open up your Bibles to James chapter 4. I'm going to start a new series. We're going to be here for about like three weeks, not necessarily in James, but we're going to be mining on this one idea. I want to talk to you for three weeks about devotion to God. And um, uh, really what I want to talk to you about when it comes to devotion to God is not just loving God, because devotion has this other aspect to it. Devotion has this aspect of loyalty or the word allegiance. It's not just like I love God, but I'm, I'm loyal to God. Uh, he has my allegiance. And so I want to spend a few weeks really kind of like digging out and mining on this, this piece of our life with Jesus that would, be, that would be devotional. A lot of times when you hear the word devotion, you just think of like doing your morning devotions, right? You know, you wake up, maybe you read your Bible or maybe you have an app that tells you what to listen to or something. If you don't, I recommend it. But uh, we're going to be leaning into that, that, that part of our life with Jesus that is both affectionate, but then also has something to do with this idea of loyalty or allegiance. Um, I don't know about you, but I have, I have personally, I have all kinds of devotions, um, not just to Jesus, you know? Uh, I have lots of devotions. I was thinking about it this week. I was thinking about those things that are in my life that no one has to tell me to do, but I just like it, you know? It's just like, oh, these are things I'm like devoted to. You know, these are things that have my allegiance. These are things I'm loyal to, you know? Uh, nobody has to spur me on or encourage me. Uh, here's some of the things I love to do. Uh, I love to ride my mountain bike. Nobody has to ask me to do that. In fact, one of the things I've realized about my own devotions is sometimes people have to ask me to not do that, right? Yeah, I, like, I love to ride my mountain bike. No one has to get, ask me to do that. Like, I want to get out. Like, we, River and I went yesterday. I'm bummed I can't go today, you know? It's one of my devotions. Uh, another thing I'm devoted to is I'm devoted to, I'm devoted to watching Kentucky play basketball and I'm devoted to having my heart broken every March. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, no one has to ask me to put it on. Like, I'm just devoted. It, it has a certain part of my allegiance. I, will, I just won't wear red. I won't do it. You'll never get me to do it. Never, never, never. Uh, I love to go to the gym. You don't have to ask me to go to the gym. Uh, I also love to read about wine. I love books about wine. I like to read boring encyclopedic books about wine. I like to read about wine regions in France and Germany with names that I can't pronounce. I like to drink it even more. You know, and these are things, I just, I love these things. And all my devotions are reflexive and they're almost instinctual. Here's what I want to do today, though. I want to start a series on about being devoted to Jesus. And I want to center on a passage I've had in my heart for a little bit 
because there's just like this tremendous promise right in the middle of James chapter four, verse eight. Here's the key text for today. If you come close to God, he will come close to you. Like what a, what a promise for us all this morning. Like I feel a little weepy even, even just reading it with you. If you come close to God, God will come close to you. It's for every single person here in the room. What I love about the promise is that it gets to the heart of devotion or loyalty. Like if, you, if you're loyal to God, if you make space for him, if you'll draw near to him, you can experience the nearness of God. Uh, here's a question for everybody in the room. Has there been seasons in your life where you felt that God was near you? Do you feel that way now? Uh, what are the markers of God's nearness uh, in, in your life? Well, there, there's a few for me. Uh, here's how I know that I'm near to the Lord. Number one, I experience God's presence. The experience of God's presence. When I'm, when I'm close to God, uh, I'm aware of God. It's not just that he's an idea, but all of a sudden I, I'm, become, I'm becoming aware of his presence. And what that means for me at a real granular level is I'm becoming aware of God's love for me. It's not just that there is a God, but that he has affections for me. I'm aware of God's uh, awareness. I have an awareness of God, not just in my life, but also like in the world. Um, I, I was thinking about this the other day. There was this little, there was this little moment of prayer at the university uh, that Trent was putting on and, and like the vineyard had an hour and I, 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 there was like 10 or 12 of us vineyard people there. And I was just like pacing up and down the Ransdale Chapel and I was just praying, you know, and I was praying for all the buildings I could remember the names of on campus. And I was praying for every coach that I could remember. And I was praying for, I was just praying that God would meet all these students. And while, while about 15 minutes into praying, I just became very aware that like God was with us in this room and that like, I had this picture in my mind of like Jesus walking around on campus, like the man Jesus walking around on campus. What is that? It's the awareness of God's presence, not just in my life, but like in the world. And when you're near to the Lord, you become aware of God's presence in the world, like on campus, on campus, everywhere you go. Uh, it's an awareness of goodness in my life. Like God's presence is always connected to goodness. There's this moment in Exodus where where, where Moses says to the Lord, uh, hey, uh, let, me, let me see your face, God. And, and what, what the writer of Exodus says is that God causes his presence to come by, but he says this really strange thing. He says, I'm gonna cause all my goodness to go by you. Like he changes, it doesn't, it doesn't use the word presence, he uses goodness. And I've noticed for me, when I'm near to the Lord, I begin to experience his presence but what that means at a real granular level is I become awake to goodness in the world, like goodness in my life, but like goodness in the world. Like this is one of the ways you know that you're far from God. You're losing contact with goodness. You think you're becoming more of a cynic, like everything is bad, you know? Uh, you become like anxious all the time and you're losing grip with goodness. How do you know you're near the Lord? You're becoming more awake to goodness because his presence is actually like, goodness manifest. That's who Jesus is. And I'm seeing God in people's lives. Uh, number two, here's how I know I'm experiencing God and I'm awake and I'm near to the Lord. It's the experience of working with God. It's this sense of like, I'm, I'm in partnership with Jesus. 
It's like, oh, we're doing stuff. I'm, I'm on a mission. Um, there's awareness of purpose. I've noticed that in my life, every time I feel like I'm near to God, uh, my sense of purpose goes up. And I know what it is. I'm like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to do in the world. Every time I'm near to the Lord, uh, an awareness of my mission, the feeling of the, it's the feeling of being on a mission from God. Uh, how many of you could say, how many of you could say, like, you know what you're called to, and, and you know, like, when, even in a really normal, like, Tuesday, you know, you're, you know, maybe you're just doing stuff in town, but there's this awareness of, oh, my life is not my own, uh, God is with me, and Jesus has given me a thing to do, but more than that, a thing to be in this world, right? Like, I've got, I've got like, I'm on a mission from God, and every time I get near to God, every time I get near to God, the sense of purpose and mission goes up in my life. One of the ways that I know I'm away from God is when I lose contact with purpose and mission. Uh, anytime I think, oh, my job or my life is just like make some money and pay the bills and show up to work and, and do 10 hours and make sure RECC is paid and pay my insurance and run the kids to soccer practice, uh, that's a sure sign I've lost contact with God. Like all that's good, but it ain't the thing. It's this sense of like, of working with God. And then finally, this is just me. Uh, the third way I know I'm near to the Lord is that I have hope in all situations. And I want to tell you, this is a big deal for me because I'm a cynic. I'm a Gen X. That's funny, guys. You can laugh. Uh, <laughs> but I'm a Gen Xer. And if you're, if you're in my age range, like if you're like, let's say 60s, mid 60s down to like, mid forties, here's what you are. You're a cynic in all situations. <laughs> we just know stuff about the world. Uh, if you grew up in the nineties, if you, if your formative years, if you were like me, guys, I went to school in the late 1900s. <laughs> if you're like me and you went to high school in the late 1900s, you're a cynic in all situations. But here's what I found out. I found out that when I'm near to the Lord, I have hope in all situations. When I'm near to Jesus. Uh, have you ever noticed that every time Jesus is up to something in the Gospels, like it just works out? People are like, we don't have any food. Jesus is like, what do you got? He's like, well, this one little boy over here has a couple of fish and some bread. Uh, bring it to me. Like, if it's me, I'm, I'm, I'm the disciple who's like, we're all going to starve in this desert, Jesus. You know? But being near to, and then, you know, if you're near to Jesus, he sends you home with a basket full of, look at that. Won't you carry that for a mile or two? You know? But it's hope in all situations. Uh, there, and by the way, guys, there's a lot to be bummed out about. Let me just say this for everybody, just so you know, I'm not like selling, selling you some random bill of goods here. Uh, there's a lot to be bummed out about. Andrew prayed about one of the big ones this morning. Like, What's going to happen in Israel and Palestine? I don't know. Uh, we've already forgotten about Russia and Ukraine, haven't we? Not to mention all the wars that are happening around the world that get no press. Like we've completely forgotten about the Uyghurs in China, right? Like nobody's thinking about those people. You know, there's a lot to be bummed out. But here's what I know. Anytime I'm near to the Lord, I have hope that something good could happen. Paul says that God's working everything to good. And I just become aware of that. So, how do I know that I'm near the Lord? Maybe your list is different, but here's my list. It's the experience of God's presence. It's the experience of working with God and his hope in all situations. 
All right, I want to read you a tough text this morning because I've gotten you all feeling good, don't I? Everybody's feeling good. Yeah, yay. Draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. Here's the only problem with uh, James chapter four, verse eight. It falls in James chapter four. And James is not messing around. So I just, wanna, I just want everybody in the room, can you take a breath with me? Get ready. Get ready. Because James ain't having it. James is the New Testament Amos. That's who he is. And so he's just going to tell you what it's about. All right? Here, here's what James says in the first 10 verses. Well, this will be our text this morning. He says, what's causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme to kill and get it. You're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you do ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You only want what will give you pleasure. You adulterers. Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I'm going to say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate and that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him. And he gives grace generously. He gives grace generously as the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Come close to God. And he'll come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. For your loyalties divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you've done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter. Gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he'll lift you up in honor. There's our text. I've been really stirred by this this week. And I want to say four things really quickly to you this morning about this text. I think I've got one slide here if you're taking notes. Number one, the battle is with the world. But the battle is for your heart. Knowing is half the battle. Seek first the kingdom. Here's one way of maybe understanding that text. The battle's with the world. The battle's for your heart. Knowing is half the battle. Finally, seek first the kingdom. Number one, the battle's with the world. Notice in verse four and verse eight, James says basically the same thing. In verse four, he says, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? Like it's, James is saying, it's one or the other, folks. If you want to be a friend to God, it'll make you an enemy to the world. But if you want to be a, an, a friend to the world, it'll make you an enemy to God. And he says the same thing again in verse eight. He says, wash your hands, you sinner... Sinners, purify your hearts for your loyalties divided between God and the world. Two times James mentions this contrast. I just want to say a couple things about this. Uh, number one, this is not about moving into the woods and starting an isolated community, right? So if you read this and you think, I need to start like a separatist cult in the woods, you know? We need, we need to like all wear uniforms and live in tents in the woods somewhere. We need to buy property in Montana. That's a bad reading. <laughs> and then the second thing I want to say about this is this. Uh, this is not about giving up Halloween or throwing out your Christmas trees. It's not, it's not about becoming oppositional to everything and everyone. You know, sometimes we're like, well, I, I, you know, 
I want to be a friend of God and I don't want to be a friend of the world. Honey, throw out the Christmas tree and burn the Halloween decorations. We're separatists for Jesus, you know? That ain't it either. That's not it. Why? Here's why. The most famous verse in all the Bible, because God loves the world. You know, we have to balance these kinds of words from James with the things that the gospel writers say. God loves the world and he gave his son for it. Not only that, but Jesus tells all these stories uh, in his ministry. He tells these stories about how the kingdom is like a farmer who sowed seed on what? Every kind of soil. Where? In the world. In the world. Like God loves the world and he throws seed. Like the, he, throw, he liberally throws the seed of the good news of the kingdom and he'll even throw it on bad soil. I, this is one of my favorite things about Jesus like, and the work of God in the world. He doesn't just throw it on good soil. He'll throw it on, he'll throw it on rocky soil. Why? Because maybe there's a chance. You know? Why? Because he loves the world. Uh, Jesus tells another story that this guy, he finds the ultimate treasure in a field. Where? In the world. There's like, there's like, there's this treasure and the treasure of the kingdom is not up in heaven somewhere. It's in the world. Like God loves the world and he's constantly hiding the treasure of his kingdom in the world. Uh, The seed of his kingdom is already planted in the world. Like there's this idea uh, that sometimes is in charismatic culture that we got to like bring the kingdom. Oh no, we don't. We actually don't ever bring the kingdom. What we do is we discover the kingdom that's already in the world. Why? Because he loves the world. That's the thing. God loves the world. And, and this has nothing to say with the fact that uh, Jesus Christ was born a person. Like God was made manifest. We're about to spend four weeks here in a little while just slowly meditating on the fact that God is a person and lived in the world. Being a friend of the world instead, when we're looking at this passage in James, being a friend of the world or the contrast that James is looking for, it means means avoiding adopting the ways and appetites of the world. And what is that? Well, it's verses one through three. Cody, maybe we could put those up. Here's what it means to be a friend of the world. I don't know. It's fine. Let me summarize one through three. Sometimes our technology gets stuck. The devil is here, guys. He's in, he's in our computers. Look, what's cause, look at what James says. What's causing quarrels and fights among you? How do you know you're a friend of the world? Quarreling and fighting? Don't they come from what? The evil desires in you? Next verse, Cody. You want what you don't have, you scheme and kill to get it. Like, it's, it's the, it, here's, here's what it means to be a friend of the world. The end justifies the means. Whatever it takes to get it. Uh, look at this. Words like jealousy and envy, taking it away, and then also prayerlessness, not having what we want because we're not asking God and asking with bad motives. Like, what does it mean to be a friend of the world? Quarrels and fights, wanting what we do not have, jealousy, fighting and waging war. It's rooted in a way of being. It's loving the comforts of the world. That's what James says. Here's the contrast. You know, you want to be near to God and you want to not be a friend of the world. Here's how. 
It is, it is giving up, it is giving up the simple comforts of the world and being willing to do anything to another person in order to make myself and my life easier. It's, it's like, like you want to be a friend of the world? Give in to jealousy. You want to be a friend of God? Give in to generosity. You know, it's just, just, it's just different, right? It's not about like, it's not about some cultural contrast that has nothing to do with anything, but it's this deeper thing of God's kingdom. It, it's, it's loving the comforts of the world. It's having the goals of the world in mind. That's what it means to be a friend of the world. Living in the story of the world apart from God. And this looks like a few very, very specific things, especially in our day. Number one, it looks like love of money. The kind of friendship with the world that James is talking about, especially for us, it looks like love of money. He hits this later, okay? Uh, number two, political-oriented hope. Like, here, you want to be a friend of the world? Have political-oriented hope. You want to be a friend of God? Have your hope in Jesus. Put all your hope in him. You know, and then finally, you know, friendship with the world is just basic selfishness. So number one, number one, I can't even remember. The battle is in the world. But make no mistake, God loves the world, okay? Uh, number two, it's a war for the heart. The battle is for the heart. Look at what James says. He says, purify your hearts. This is what he says to the church. Purify your hearts. From what? All the stuff in those other verses around it, all that stuff, like get it out. The, the, battle is, the battle is with the world, but the battle is for your heart, you know? Like where's this, where's this happening? And here's what I want to say about your human heart. The human heart is a zero-sum game. Do you guys know what a zero-sum game is? Here's, here's what a zero-sum game is. It means, it means that there is a limitation and that there is a finiteness to your humanity, and especially your human heart. And basically, if we look at the passage here in James, and if we want to not be a friend of the world, but we want to be a friend to God, it, it means something like this. Your heart and your life and your soul only has so much capacity because you're a person. And God has put certain limits to the human psyche uh, around you. And so to the degree that I am a friend of the world is the degree to which I cannot be a friend to God. Why? Because I'm a limited person. And so if I'm going to be a friend to God, it means something, there's got to be some room there. And so if I'm going to lay hold of Jesus, I've got to let go of something else. It's a zero sum game. Our souls and our hearts have borders and boundaries. There's just so much room. And if the limited space of our person, if the limited space of our soul is fill, filled with jealousy, fighting, and selfishness, if we're filled with political hope, the love of money, the ways of the world, there'll be no room for God left. There'll just be no room for God. Some of us once loved God more. Some of us used to be more aware of God and now we wonder where it went. And here's what I want to say this morning. Maybe something is taking the space or maybe something's taking our energy and ability to love God. Love for the world is soul glaucoma. It narrows our vision and heart to the point it's just unaware of anything else. That's what it does. Number three, knowing is half the battle. Can you identify the way love for the world manifests in your life? Can you? 
That's one of the invitations in the passage this morning, is to start waking up to the ways in which we love the world more than we love Jesus. Can you identify them? Uh, let me just share some of mine. Uh, here's some of the things that rob my love for God. Uh, worry about money. Anybody else ever had worries about money? Dude, you're a liar. <laughs> you're not only worrying about money, but you also lie. <laughs> Here, here's, some of, here's some of the things that steal my ability to love God. Uh, worrying about money. Uh, here's something else. Um, wanting to be seen as good. Like that's, that's part of my soul glaucoma. I, I want you to think I'm a good person. You know, notice I didn't say I want to be a good person. I mean, I want to be a good person, but you know what I want more than being a good person? I want James to think I'm a good person. That's what I want, you know? Yeah. Uh, here, here's, another, here's another one that just robs from me. I love to win. I love to win. Win what? Everything. I love winning. I love winning. I, I'm so competitive. I love winning. And winning is fun. It literally, it's really fun. But winning isn't everything. <laughs> and I know that, but man, I just love to win. I love to win. What about you? Uh, where is there discord in your life? Or where's their jealousy? Where's their fighting? Where are my loves activated, but they don't lead me to God? If you don't know, you can't do anything about it. Then number four, seek first the kingdom. It's another tremendous promise. Jesus says, if you seek the kingdom of God first, everything else gets added. Seek first the kingdom and its righteousness. And what? Everything else will get added. Some of us have been worried about so many things. Self-preservation. Uh, Jesus lays it out in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, you know what? Here's a human thing. You guys are worried about what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear. And look at the birds. Doesn't my father take care of them? And look at the lilies of the field. Aren't they dressed better than Solomon? And then he says, if you'll just seek first the kingdom of God, everything else will be added to your life. Here's what it means to seek first the kingdom of God. It means to prioritize the rule and reign of Jesus in your life. And if you do that, everything else you need, everything else you really need, it gets added to you. One of the things I was thinking about this week when I was meditating on that text is occasionally our culture sort of intuits this sort of thing. And by this sort of thing, I mean the need to prioritize one thing over every other thing. Remember a few years ago, there was that, that nice Asian lady who was telling everybody to throw everything away? Marie Kondo? Right? And right at, the, right at about the same time, right about the same time, there, there was this guy named Joshua Fields Milburn the, the minimalists, anybody know who I'm talking about? 
Did you you guys realize that these two things happened at like right at the same time? So you have this really nice lady, Marie Kondo, and she's like, does it bring you joy? No. And then you have, you have these guys called the minimalists and Joshua Fields Milburn is saying like, none of that stuff is making you happy. And it just occurred to me that this week that, that sometimes even our secular culture, it, it sort of is awake and aware of the ways in which what we really need is to become singularly focused on the main thing. And by the way, uh, you know, we could all, we'd all do better about, by just getting rid of, we'd all be happier, just like get rid of some stuff. But how many of you know, you can sit in a house that's perfectly beautiful, that has three things and still be very unhappy and unfulfilled. And so it isn't simply about getting rid of something. It's about laying hold of someone. And, and that's, that's, that's Jesus. Like seek first the rule and reign of Jesus. Seek first every other essential thing will be added to your life. So today, today the call or the invitation is to draw near to God, uh, to let go of every other thing because your heart and your soul, it's a zero sum game. If you'll make some room, God could fill it up. You know, if you'll make a little room, like if you'll just let go of fighting, let go of quarrels, let go of selfishness, let go of prayerlessness, let go of all of those things, let go of jealousy, envy, and strife, because all of those things keep us from laying hold of and enjoying God. Some of us need to Marie Kondo our hearts. And if you do, you can live aware of God. You can live on a mission with God and you can have hope in every situation. Uh, so here's what I want to do this morning. If you're on the worship band, once you come on up, we're going, to, we're going to draw near to God this morning by receiving the body and the blood of Jesus. If you're one of the couples who is going to serve the communion elements, will you please come up and grab those plates and cups and make your way around the room? And I would so love it if everybody else in the room would just stand. Thanks again for stopping by the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening at the Vineyard, you can follow us on social media. Until next time.